Hey guys, Lunchbox here. Uh, I wanted to give you a heads up. This is uh, an episode where we finally get to interview Ellen Hemington, who is uh, just absolutely phenomenal. But we had some uh, some audio issues with it, so uh, some of it's not so clear, and there's a little bit of an echo on my voice through a lot of it. But uh, the content is fantastic, and it is well worth persevering. I apologize for the audio issues, but uh, I still wanted to get this out there. So enjoy. Okay. Are you, are you ready? Sorry. Yeah. All right. I'm paying attention already. I'm sorry. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's edition of Panel Riot. Happy New Comic Book Day. This week we are joined by the fantastic Ellen Hemmington, and we'll be talking all things animal comics. But first, uh, intern Stan, if you could please cue us the theme song. Intern Stan, that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I uh, appreciate your valuable contribution to this podcast. I'm still not going to pay you. As I said in the intro this week, we are joined by Ellen Hemmington. Say hello, Ellen. Hello. Ellen, uh, we've been talking about you on the show for quite a while. You have given me a bunch of comics to read, and they're all, they've all been fantastic. And here you are, finally, on the show. Yep, happy to be here. Is it exciting? It is really exciting. Right, right. And I have to say... Intern Stan, totally hot. Stan, did you hear that? Oh, he's he's asleep. Yes. Jesus. He's very attractive. He's awful at his job. Uh, so I can I can see why you keep him on. Yes. Well, it's a it's a whole thing. Anyway, um, so this week we're talking about uh, animal comics. Um, as uh, as the, our listeners heard last week I read Black Sad, which was recommended by you, yes. and it, it was so good it made me into a gibbering idiot. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yes. Uh, so before we get too into, into this stuff, tell, tell the people about your background. Uh, well, comic-wise, my background started early high school when I started reaching out to friends because I discovered some art online, and someone told me about Archie Comics. Uh, that someone admittedly being my mom. <laughs> so I started reading Archie, and then when I went to college, I went to art school, and I discovered a little comic book store up in Erie, Pennsylvania, and it opened my world to everything under the sun. Um, but since I was going to art school, I had lots of artsy friends who didn't read a lot of the mainstream stuff, so I never really got invested into DC and Marvel. I started looking at Image and Dark Horse and smaller printers like Viking Press. So that's where that's where I started. So my background is a little a little strange. I didn't read the X-Men and the, the Batman as much growing up. 
Interesting. What are you uh, What are you reading now? What current books are you reading? Uh, currently, still oh, current ongoing series. There are a lot. <laughs> uh, right now, I am absolutely enamored with Saga, as is the rest of the human population. That's exactly right. Uh, yes. <laughs> Tooth and Claw is a new one that I'm reading that is fantastic, and unfortunately, I cannot for the life of me remember who is writing or drawing that one right now. <laughs> so Google is our friend on that one. Um, wow, there, there are quite a few. Uh, Low is a good series that I'm reading currently. I do follow The Walking Dead when it comes out in trade paperbacks. So not as quickly as everyone else, but I am following that. And I'm anxiously awaiting the last few chapters of Fables. Fantastic. So. Very cool. Have you played the, uh, the Fables game, The Wolf Among Us? Yes, the first one. The mm -hmm. first one. Is it good? It is. It's pretty good. It's pretty true to the stories, and it's, it's got the same gritty feel that some of the Fables comics has. So. Cool. Yeah, we are... Uh... That's going to be an entire another episode where we talk about comics and video games and whatnot. So, you know, stay tuned for that. So, uh, we brought you on to talk about animal comics, and uh, it's worth mentioning that you were an artist yourself. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that, and where can they find your work? Oh, most of my work right now, anything I'm putting out, is through my Twitter, which will be at Coyoteclaw, K-Y-O-T-E-K-L-A-W. Sorry for the difficult <laughs> Twitter name. Um, <laughs> We're starting up a sketch bed in about, oh, Lord, it starts on Wednesday. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, or we do a drawing a day. So if you want to see the kind of doodles I do, that's where you'll find them for the next 90 days. Um, but most of my work is anthropomorphic characters. I love fantasy and animals, so it was natural to fall into that. Um, that's about it, art-wise. Do, really. do, do you have, like, a specific website they can find you at? I have not updated a website in a long time, but if they're familiar with Fur Affinity, I am Coyote on there as well. Excellent. So, so what, uh, what is it about um, comics that are featuring animals that, uh, that interests you more than comics featuring not animals? What is it about the genre that clicks with you? I believe some of it is what you touched on with the Black Sad uh, episode, where... I love the way you can portray human interaction and human emotion, but you can bring the raw feel of animal emotion and animal expression through it. Um, it's just, it's also, it's really vibrant to be able to see instead of character A walking downtown with a whole bunch of random faceless passerbys to see, you know, the cat lady walking downtown and she's passing a skunk and a tortoise and a beaver and everything else under the sun and it draws you in and it makes you a little more interested in looking at the backgrounds of these comics. At least I feel that way. Um, there's also a lot of things you can achieve with animal characters that you can't with humans. I mean, if a human character freaks out because they've seen something scary, you'll get the expression, you'll get them falling backwards, you'll get them cringing, but if you have a cat person being freaked out, you'll have them moving in their own skin, twisting, like the fur puffs up, like there's, there's a lot of expression you get 
with animals that you don't get with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had mentioned like I love how when Black Sad's really upset, like his ears go straight back, just yeah. like a like a cat, you know. A lot of times it's it's hard for them to hide their emotions too, so you can see the annoyance in a character a lot easier than you might be able to see in others. And some of that might be a crux for an artist too. It might be easier to display certain emotions with an animal character. But when you find an artist that really nails it, it is phenomenal, and it adds an entirely new sense of depth to the image. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I mean, the, the animal comics that you've shown me so far, um, the art has been across the board absolutely fantastic. Now, I might just be seeing, like, the best of the best, <laughs> but do you find that um, the art in animal comics like these is in general better, like higher quality, than you'd find in, like, Marvel or DC? Yes and no. Uh, I find that sometimes you find a little more attention to detail with animal comics, but you also don't find as many. So you're going to have a larger pool to pick from when it comes to human-based comics, like Marvel and DC. So you'll have a lot more people that are drawing. Um, There are some animal comics out there that are not pretty, and you (laughs) you run into a lot of broken anatomy too. Mm -hmm. But it's also a fantastic creature. There are no walking, talking dogs, so you can fudge it a bit and make it still believable. Um, And and there's a wide variety of ways to do that. I mean, there's animal comics where you have just a regular animal with a sentient conscience and the ability to maybe speak or process problem-solving like a human would all the way up to animals that look just like a person with an animal's head stuck on the body. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Invincible, but there's a character in the Invincible series called Science Dog, and he looks like a guy with a dog head. (laughs) It's just kind of what it is. Right, right. Um, And there is an offshoot called Science Dog, too. Fun read. I'm, I'm into the idea of just something that's just called Science Dog. That sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, and then on the other end of that spectrum, you have something like um, like Pride of Baghdad, where it is just the animals, and they're drawn as animals, but they still get that expression across, and yeah. they can, you know, like you said, think and reason like humans, and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, what? Let's say we have uh, someone who's interested in getting into animal comics, someone who wants to get off the beaten path, away from you know Marvel, DC, and the and the the big guys. Uh, where should they start? What's a good introductory book to someone who wants to get started on uh, on animal comics? Well, if you're looking for a little bit of a tamer in sense of mature content, not mature um, as in adult content, but mature as in a higher sort of intellect than your generic Archie comic, mm-hmm. we'll just fall back to that, um, <laughs> Mouse Guard is a fantastic place to start. Okay. Uh, you'll also find a lot of animal comics that are written and drawn by the same people mm-hmm. because a lot of them are coming out from smaller publishers. Right. So Mouse Guard is a wonderful story about these mice that are surviving out in the wilderness like normal mice do. They're out in the wild, but they've formed their own society. So they've built cities, and they're using different aspects of their environments to improve their lives. They've, they can forge swords. They've domesticated, like, rabbits to ride on, things like that. Um, and it's all about these mice that used to be soldiers, 
there was a war at one point with, I believe, a weasel. And they overthrew the weasel warlord. And now they're in a time of peace, but there's still dangers around, like predators and the elements. So the mouse guard serves just to protect and serve the mouse populace. They'll act as bodyguards, and they'll scout paths. So it's it's an easy transition into it, but there's still mice. You're not really anthropomorphic at that point to the to the extent of Black said. They're not people animals. They are little teeny tiny mice that are <laughs> as big as the palm of your hand, running around with their little acorn shields and their little swords, <laughs> fighting animals much larger than them, and it's an epic series. It's really enjoyable. Is it is it still ongoing or is it wrapped up? Yes. Uh, Peterson is still is still writing it. And he's also doing some offshoots like Legends of the Guard, mm-hmm. where you start in a little tavern and the mice are sitting around having a drink and the the uh, owner of the tavern offers to clear the tab of any mouse that entertains her well enough with a story. So David Peterson is bringing in other artists to write and illustrate their own stories, which is fantastic because you get a lot of different minds coming together and giving you glimpses into this world hmm. in their own perspective. There's a lot of collaboration, but he is still producing them. I believe he has Fall and Winter out, and there's also Legend of the Black Axe, and he has some smaller stories that are still ongoing. I'm not sure when Spring's supposed to come out, but I've heard rumors that that it's coming in 2015. Interesting. So Very cool. And uh, to you guys listening at home, if you are interested in any of these comics that we're talking about, uh, head on over to panelriot.com, click the button that says Amazon, and there will be links to uh, each and every one of these comics. Pick up any any one of them you want when you shop through us. You help supporting the show, supporting us here at Panel Riot. We, uh, we greatly appreciate that. And speaking of supporting Panel Riot, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Ellen, more Animal Comics, and more Panel Riot. Please stick around. And incidentally, I'm not a wine expert. All I know about wine is that it either tastes good or it doesn't. And I also know that Petri wine always tastes good. The Petri family sees to that. The name Petri on the label is the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. And they know how to make it good because they've been making fine wine for generations. Handing down from father to son, from father to son, every secret, every skill of the winemaker's art. Yes, the Petri family took time to bring you good wine. That's why, no matter what type of wine you wish, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As always, we want to thank uh, the Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine. They've been sponsors of Panel Riot since the very beginning, uh, and uh, we're grateful to them. Now, if only we could get them to pay us. Uh, We are talking animal comics, and we are joined by the wonderful Miss Ellen Hemmington. Say hello again, Ellen. Hello again. This is the second second portion here. I've never figured out what to call these. Act, second act, act two. Um, so, uh, like I said, we're talking about animal comics. In the first section, we talked about what would be a good comic to introduce people to who want to kind of dip their toes in the genre. 
my question to you now is, if you could cite some examples, tell us about some comics that started all this, the kind of comics you could credit to the rise of popularity of animal comics. Well, I can't particularly speak to who did it first, but one of the people that did it best and did it fairly early on was Stan Sakai, who started a series back in 1987 called Usagi Yojimbo, which is roughly translated to Rabbit Bodyguard. Uh, Stan has been writing this comic and is still doing miniseries with this character to this day that you may have seen uh, if you were a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who, and watched the animated series. Who wasn't? I know, really. I mean, we're all, you know, around 30. Yeah. Everybody was into the turtles at one point or another. Even if you're not around 30, you're into the turtles. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about anthropomorphics that have touched our lives mm -hmm. right there. I, I did uh, at some point want to ask you about that, about um, how you feel those comics stack up uh, to um, other kind of animal comics and anthropomorphic comics, things like Ninja Turtles. Oh, fairly well. I think that, I think that today's animal comics have breached into new topics that the the old school, like, TMNT comics never really did. Mm -hmm. so there's a different world of animal comics nowadays, but they still do hold up, especially if you're looking for just an enjoyable superhero comic that has some crazy fantasy creatures. Yeah. And sometimes that's that's all you want to read, and that's what you get, and it's the best. <laughs> so it's uh, pretty good. But anyway, you were talking about Usagi. Yes. Uh, Usagi Ujimbo is actually named Miyamoto Usagi. I hope to God I'm pronouncing all of this right. Um, That's a theme on this show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who is a rabbit ronin on a warrior's pilgrimage. He used to serve a feudal lord, and his lord was killed in battle, so now he is he's making this pilgrimage to, I believe, find himself. Um, and along the way, he runs into a whole host of other characters, like a rhinoceros named Jen, who is a um, bounty hunter, who travels with him often, and he fights everything from ninja to spirits to, I mean, anything you could possibly think of from the feudal Japan folklore, Usagi will run into. Uh, and it, it's a great read. There is a lot of it to read. You can pick it up and enjoy it from any point because he writes them almost episodically. So you'll you'll get full stories in issues. And there's a lot of reoccurring characters, but it does also connect over time. You learn a lot about the character. You learn about when he grew up, the training he did, his master. You learn about the loves he's had. You learn about the friends he's made and the friends he's lost and the evils that follow him, too. Um, but he he's a great character that you become pretty attached to pretty quickly. And... Stan's art is wonderful. It's it's a black and white comic, um, and it's very, very oh, how do I describe it? It's <laughs> it's a beautiful comic. It really is. He he does this sort of soft cartoony style, and when when he draws things like characters dying. They'll grab their chest, their eyes get wide, and when they fall, there will be a little bubble that comes out of them with a skull. <laughs> like, it's, it's very cartoony, um, but it's beautiful, and the stories mesh well with it. Mm -hmm. 
It's worth mentioning that um, uh, it's been running since 1984. That was when it was first published. That's true. The first issue yeah. was published in, in 87, issue number one of the Usagi Ujimbo series, but he his character has existed before that. Ah, I see. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not completely familiar with where the character popped up, but I know that it was reoccurring in other series. And then he was approached by a publisher to make it its own story. Are you ready for where this character came from? Where? Uh, the Adventures of Nielsen Ground Thumper and Hermie. Well. It was a supporting character for that. Oh, my. Yeah, he's been everywhere, I believe. I believe Usagi's also been in space. Mm -hmm. Stan does a series of Usagi Ujimbo in space. Yeah, I feel like when you have a character or, or a comic series that have has gone for that long, you're going to go some crazy places, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody ends up in space at one time or another. And it has gone for so long. I've, I'll admit I haven't even read the entire series because there's so much of it, and that's wonderful to me. That just means I get more. Excellent. So, um, any other uh, uh, precursors or front runners or uh, originators of the craft? Not that I'm entirely familiar with, because when I really started delving into these, it was through college. And when I first found Animal Comics, I found it through an artist who lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, who was writing his own comic and having it published through a small publisher, and it was called The Extinctioners. And I can't fully say that I'm not familiar with the Marvel Universe because the characters had a lot of similarities. A, he had a character named Star Fox who had very similar powers to Rogue, the super, the super strength and the flight. Mm -hmm. She even had the white streak in her hair. Um, <laughs> so when I first started finding Animal Comics through this, this artist, I was reading pretty much superhero stuff. And while that was the beginning for me, I don't believe it would be the beginning for a lot of people unless they're familiar with that genre and they follow the anthropomorphic art very closely. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Um, well, to that end, um, let's talk about some of your favorite animal comics. All right. Well, we'll start off with one of the best animal comics. Comics, sorry. <laughs> um, one of the best comics that I've read in a long time and still one of my favorites very emotional comic called Pride of Baghdad. Oh, Pride and Baghdad. right off the bat, you know it's a fantastic comic when you see Brian K. Vaughn as the author, who, as anyone who reads comics would probably know, is the author of Saga. Mm -hmm. And Why the Last Man, which is another fantastic series. That's one I've been meaning to pick up and, mm -hmm. and work through, because that one, that one has since ended, so you can kind of see it as a whole piece. Yeah. Um, but the, the general idea behind Pride of Baghdad is that there is a bombing going on in Baghdad. It hits the Baghdad Zoo, and uh, a pride of lions escape from the zoo. Um, and they, this is them roaming around Baghdad, and you know they can, like you mentioned earlier, they can like speak and reason and everything like that, like humans. But they still re retain their um, animalistic, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tendencies, but nature characteristics. Yeah. Um, and it's it's oddly heartbreaking. It is. It it's really crazy. is. Well, Pride of Baghdad is actually loosely based on a true story about the I believe the 2003 uh, bombing of Baghdad by America, and 
there was a zoo that was hit and the animals did roam free for a little bit, or at least that's what I have read, but it's the internet, so you never know. Um, and throughout the story, these lions will begin to exhibit different viewpoints on the war in Iraq, which has a kind of heavier meaning to it. I mean, you can read the comic and enjoy the lion's story, but there's definitely some some subtle some subtle growth in the characters. Mm -hmm. Like the the alpha lion Zill starts out very mild mannered, very almost domesticated, and as they as they move through it, you see his aggression build, and he proves to be a very strong fighter in the end. Um, there's a lot of commentary by two of the lions, uh, Safa and Noor, I believe her name was. Mm -hmm. Safa's an old lioness who is accustomed to the ways of the zoo and is happy with her captivity, with, with being cared for by humans, whereas Noor is adamant that they need to find their freedom. Um, she has, she and Noor, or she and Safa argue at one point about the concept of tyranny and captivity. Uh, and it's kind of a nod to the Iraqi people. It's, it's a pretty deep comic that I had to read a couple of times to really grasp everything that was going on underneath the general concept of the lions roaming through the city trying to survive. Mm. It's one of those comics that it's about these lions roaming the city, but it is not about these lions yeah. at all. It's these about... lions are definitely, definitely icons. Yeah, yeah. So. It's wonderful. And actually the art, I remember the art specifically being just top-notch in this book. And it, it was actually drawn by um, Nico... Oh, are you ready for this one? Uh, Hen Henrichon? 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 Uh, yeah, you you got it. Yep, nailed, nailed it. it. <laughs> nailed it. First try. Um, and uh, I guess they do cover work for um, Marvel and DC, and uh, you know, I guess they've done work on Fables and X Men and Sandman and Spider Man and all yeah. that fun stuff. But it's it the art is uh, phenomenal in the book as well as the coloring. Yeah, it's beautiful. The mm -hmm. coloring is is wonderful. Mm -hmm. One of the more vibrant comic books that I've ever read. Mm -hmm. And it's it's violent. It, it's a violent in parts, but it's not necessarily like gory. You know what I mean? If you're cringing, you're cringing for emotional reasons, not necessarily for what you're seeing in the comic. Yeah. yeah. And that's something to be said for animal comics too, is I think that some people find it easier to accept violence with animals. The, the struggle of tooth and claw, the, the fight of fang and fur, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, <laughs> because you don't see a human being being dismembered, but then you have other people that read these comics and it is absolutely unbearable to watch these animals get torn apart, yeah. which is actually a nice segue into <laughs> a wonderful gem of a comic called We Three Yeah, yeah. by Grant Morrison and Sean Murphy. Let me tell you up front that I am one of those latter people. <laughs> like, if I'm watching a movie... Uh, and it could be it could be like a movie about war and all these people are dying and you know I'm not unaffected but uh, I'm not you know I'm not as um, upset as if they introduce a character that's a dog because I am way more inve emotionally invested in the well-being of that dog than I am in the humans every time I've oh. turned off movies because they killed a dog in it <laughs> yeah I 
I've been there too. I've cried. But I'm also a sucker and I cry for animals on the side of the road. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do have to apologize. Sean Murphy was not the artist in We Three. It was Frank. um, Frank Quietly. Quietly. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Murphy also worked with Grant Morrison on another one that we'll talk about. Okay. Hopefully. (laughs) But We Three. Yes, We Three. Uh, Very intense little book. Mm -hmm. Um, So the book starts out in the home of, I'm not, I can't remember if he's a gangster or a drug runner or, it's a criminal, the home of a criminal. And he's working out upstairs and you see flashes of guards in the house just going down. And then he hears something, he goes for his gun and the door is just ripped apart by bullets and he's shredded. It's a pretty intense graphic image in the very beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar um, with Frank Quietly's work, I mean, you know the kind of things you're going to see in this uh, in this comic. It's very violent and very graphic, in very interesting ways. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and then as the story progresses, you see these three large machines leaving the house, and they've left behind what look like large animal paw prints in the blood, mm-hmm. which is an introduction to three pets that have been abducted from the streets and turned into weapons. So they're in their own personal mech suits, and they're called We Three because they are the three animals that refer to themselves as one, two, and three. Uh, One is the dog, two is the cat, and three is a rabbit. And the story is about these three of them facing shutdown. The program's going to shut down. They're going to kill these animals. They're not going to be researching this anymore. But it's a fairly unique story because they have implants in their brains that allow them rudimentary speech and reasoning, which creates a very interesting dynamic between the three characters because they play heavily off of the type of animals they were. I mean, you can tell that these were pets. The dog is... The dog's very concerned with whether or not he was a good dog, whether or not he's pleasing the people that he's working for or living with. The cat is, oh, the cat's a cat. Um, The cat hisses at people and has sort of an aloof, I don't care attitude about things, typically kind of angry about situations, which is very much a cat. Uh, And the rabbit just goes with it. The rabbit sometimes doesn't even seem to acknowledge the gravity of situations that they're in. And the rabbit also does funny little things that remind me of a pet rabbit. Like uh, his mech suit is able to drop bombs, which come (laughs) out of the backside as little balls, Mm -hmm. which is just hilarious. And every time he drops these little pellet bombs, he goes, oops, which is is very much pet rabbit. But, I mean, having these animal personalities come through in their, like, kind of rudimentary speech makes the whole thing so much more heartbreaking. It is. Because you're like, oh, that's a dog. That's that's exactly how I think a dog would speak if it was speaking. Yeah. And, it, it's it's spot on. Yeah. It really is. And then the, the person that's been caring for them throughout this entire military program finds out that they're going to be shut down and destroyed, and she releases them. Mm-hmm. So the book follows these three animals – who are afraid and just want to find their way home, running from the military, uh, running into civilians who have no idea what they're facing. It's a, it's imagine a mech suit with the animal's head sticking out of the top of it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. 
and it's it's graphic and it's heartbreaking as you said yes but it is a phenomenal book mm-hmm. that also i think towards the end touches on the human spirit yeah a little bit of nod toward humanity so yeah. uh and we had uh, we had looked a little bit before the um before this episode, and it had actually been optioned as a screenplay by um, Sony, wasn't it? Uh, I'm not sure if it was Sony, but yeah, it, I think that it was um, it was picked picked out in 2006 and optioned as a screenplay, mm-hmm. and is still technically in the works. Um, right, but it was it was adapted by Grant Morrison, which is a good sign. Yes, oh, fantastic! Player. He was quoted to say, "It's Disney with." Things. Right, yeah, so. but I, I feel like um, like this comic had it been more you know more widespread, or if the film comes out and gets you know widespread exposure, that like it could kind of shine more of a light on like using animals for laboratory testing and things like that, and it's it's a very short jump from the concept of the movie to a concept like that, a more like everyday realistic concept. It could, yeah. yeah. Especially humanizing them by giving them the ability to speak and seeing their struggle Mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. So, uh, well, we have to take another break. have to have another word from our sponsors. And we'll be back with more Panel Riot. Please do stick around. In or around the Pittsburgh area? Check out Metamorphosis, Pittsburgh's only full-service organic salon, spa, and wellness studio. Haircut? Check. Manny? Check. Petty? Check. Massages, highlights, sauna, and facials? Absolutely. We even offer professional yoga classes daily. Visit us at spapgh.com. That's S-P-A-P-G-H.com today. Because when you feel good, you look even better. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, our sincere thanks to Metamorphosis, one of the greatest places Pretty much ever. Ellen knows about Metamorphosis. Oh, I do. Ellen's been there. I do. Yeah. You had a, ped- a group pedicure there one time. It was a pretty good time. It was yeah. fantastic. No, they're, they're fantastic. They're very nice people. And so nice. Yeah. Free yeah. wine. Yep. And they had candy corn and candy on their corn. checkout counter. Yes. Probably not anymore, but no. <laughs> Maybe there will be something else. You should go and find out. Go and find out. Go to spapgh.com. Check them out, and I promise you will not regret it. We are talking about animal comics. We are talking with Ellen Hemmington, who is uh, the most knowledgeable person that I know about animal comics. Um, so where were we? Well, we had just finished talking about We Three. Yes. Um, talking about an emotional animal comic. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into another. <laughs> now this one might be a little easier for some people to connect with because it is an example of a comic that has human characters and animal characters. Um, it's a little bit more of fantasy on the animal end, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, Joe the Barbarian is a wonderful book by Grant Morrison as well, and he worked with Sean Murphy on this one. So Sean Murphy you might recognize from a lot of different comics, like uh, you know he's done some of the Teen Titan comics, uh, some DC, some Marvel. He did work with Shaun of the Dead, and Punk Rock Jesus is actually another one of his. Um, so he's got a very, very cool, very rough style, lots of detail in his work. Um, but Joe the Barbarian is a comic about a young boy who has a pet rat named Jack. And 
the boy has type 1 diabetes. So the comic features him upstairs in the top floor of his house where he realizes that he hasn't had much to eat and he goes into a um, hypoglycemic shock, basically. And he begins to hallucinate. And in these hallucinations, Jack, his pet rat, is an anthropomorphic warrior rat who is trapped in a cage. And his, his hallucinations also populated by his toys and a lot of things around him. Um, so it's not so much an animal comic as it is Joe's journey through this fantasy land and his war with King Death. Um, but Jack is his protector and his companion through most of this. And it's a two-sided two type of comic. While you're watching him fight this war with Jack the Warrior Rat, you're also watching him try to find his way through his house just to get downstairs to the kitchen to get a soda. But he's having problems because his condition is limiting his mobility. One of the first things he does is he falls out of his bunk bed. Um, so he's hurting himself along the way, which translates into his fantasy, into this hallucination. Um, but it's, it's a comic that you wouldn't expect to be very long or have a lot of depth since he's just trying to find his way downstairs to the kitchen. But it's, it's remarkable the journey that he has to take just to get down there. And the way his pet rat helps him through it, through both his hallucinations being his support to keep going, and actually the, the physical rat with him in the house trying to help him get downstairs. Now, the, the actual rat doesn't have any sentience. He's, he's in human intelligence terms. He's not walking and talking. He's, he's a little rat, and he's doing things like jumping onto Joe's shoulder to try to wake him up when he's starting to fade out. Or, um, I won't give away any spoilers, but the rat tries to protect him at a certain point. And it's really, it's sweet. It's unbelievably sweet. The story is very sad, but also very heartwarming. Um, and I know I use the word epic a lot to describe <laughs> a lot of comics, but his battle with King Death can be called that. In... It, not so much his battle with King Death, but his struggle against the odds to save his own life in this book. Um, it's probably one of my top recommendations. And it's one that was recommended to me by a friend who works in a comic shop way out in Oregon. And <laughs> I believe the shock in his voice when I told him I'd never even heard of it was almost palpable through the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so for a person who's never read or who reads a lot of animal comics who have never heard of that one he mailed it to me <laughs> from Oregon it's definitely one of my top recommendations if you're looking for something that has fantasy but also grounded in reality and will punch you straight in the heart as well as the gut it's fantastic interesting yeah, it sounds it sounds really good. Now, and we mentioned um, before, it's written by Grant Morrison, and yes, um, he's not known for his heartwarming tales, really. So it sounds like, but it sounds like it's a, um, a departure from his normal stuff. A little bit, yeah. yeah. It's 
it is a little different from his normal stuff. And it is a single story. I mean, the book is it beginning and end. So you get it all at once, which is nice. Excellent. But. Very cool. Um, what, anything else? Um, what else is there? Comic-wise? Comic-wise. Uh, comics, comics that you love, that you would like to <laughs> recommend to our listeners at home. Well, we've, we've talked about a lot of heavier comics that can make you feel a little sad and really tug on the heartstrings a bit. So we'll go on to a little bit of a lighter animal comic, uh, which is Beasts of Burton. Mm -hmm. it, it has its moments, too. You get pretty, pretty attached to some characters. But Beasts of Burden is about a group of animals, dogs mostly, with one cat named Orphan, who live on Burden Hill. And they are paranormal investigators of a type. They, the, the very first story starts out with them trying to help one of their friends because he believes his doghouse is haunted. So this is the type of story where they're anthropomorphized in the way that they are regular everyday dogs who can talk and reason. Mm -hmm. um, so he believes his doghouse is haunted and they go and dig it up and discover this ghost of a dog. And from that point on, they meet dogs called the wise dogs who are canines that know a lot about ghosts and spirits and witches and things like that, who basically protect humanity by dispelling these things and fighting them. So you follow this small group of animals. I believe there's um, there's six of them. And then a little later on, a second cat joins them. And you go with them as they battle against a coven of witches and earth golems and a lot of, like, ghost stories. Oh, man. I just said that this is a lighter one, but there are <laughs> some pretty heavy storylines in this, too. Wow. Like when they're approached by a mother dog whose puppies have gone missing, only to discover that there are lots of puppies that have gone missing. Oh, no. And you find out why, and it's kind of gruesome. Oh. So, yeah, sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> maybe you should stick to the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> uh, wow. But Beast of Burden's pretty good, and it's written by Evan Dorkin, Oh, gosh, I hope I pronounced Dorkin right. Dorkin. Otherwise, I was just very insulting. Although he did produce a comic called Dork. He's pretty well known for poking fun at fandoms that he himself is in. Are you just making fun of my inability to pronounce names now? I am. Just every last <laughs> name. You're like, oh, I hope I pronounced Smith right. Yeah. Mm, man, you know, Papa Lunch folks. Papa I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what you're getting at here, but... I don't know, but I think that's how I'm going to pronounce it from now on. Papa Lunchbooks. Lunchbooks. Oh, man. Okay. Actually, uh, Evan Dorgan, the guy who wrote Beasts of Burden, did some writing for Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Oh, nice. And you get, I feel, personally, that you get some of that humor in one of the characters, Pugsley, mm -hmm. who is a snarky little pug who just sort of cracks jokes and pokes fun at the other dogs and complains about everything. So your little Zorak thrown there. <laughs> At least maybe I'm projecting because I know he's written for that. Right. Um, and it's the artist is Jill Thompson, who is a wonderful artist who has done work for a number of things, including 
one of my favorite series of all time that I won't talk about today because you won't shut me up, but The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. She's done work on that, on their Brief Lives story arc, and good lord. <laughs> but... I think that's Sandman is a whole like month of podcasts. Oh, I it's yeah. it's huge. No, Sandman's its own podcast. Sandman the podcast should exist, right? And it should be done by Neil Gaiman himself because then you can just listen to him talk. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but Jill does a pretty good job. Now this is one where I wouldn't particularly say the art is mind blowing. Um, like I would with Black Sad mm -hmm. or. Or other ones like Lackadaisy, which I'll touch on too, if we have time. But <laughs> <laughs> but you you get the feeling of this cozy sort of small suburb town, and you know the dogs the dogs are well drawn. Their expressions are they they portray their emotions fairly accurately. She does a good job. Jill's got some solid art. Uh, so it is an enjoyable, enjoyable read. And sometimes she'll draw some things and they kind of strike you. Like at one point you discover that the beagle has the ability to see things that the other dogs can't. And the other dogs think they're talking to a character that's just standing in front of them, normal and alive and happy. And the beagle sees this character completely charred, smoking, like mm. a smoking corpse. And it's... Like, whoa, <laughs> well, that, that was a page turn right there. Yeah. Can I just... So sometimes her art surprises you, too. Mm. It's very good. Uh, I would recommend her other works highly. Interesting. And, um, and we've also touched briefly on, um, on Mouse, um, which, as I said on the previous episode, that's a whole episode in, in its own that we would need a whole yeah. panel of people to discuss that. You can't just summarize Mouse and tell people to read it. I mean, you can. I can tell you right now, read Mouse, yeah. M-A-U-S, but you can't summarize it. It's it's a discussion. Yeah. So so, so stick around because uh, we'll get to that eventually, not on this episode, <laughs> but at some point in the life cycle of this podcast. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, um, I wanted to talk briefly about um, the use of animals in mainstream comics. Um, for instance, Marvel has a line right now that is focused on like Rocket Raccoon, um, yeah. and uh, you know there have been examples of um, you know animal characters in mainstream comics. Now, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on those. Uh, why do you think it doesn't happen more? And and looking at some of the publishers of the comics that we discussed, um, I know that like Pride of Baghdad was. Um, uh, I think Vertigo published that, and I yes. think V3 published, someone was published by Image, I can't remember exactly. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on why, the, like the big two, why Marvel and DC don't take more risks in publishing animal comics. I think because traditionally animals were the goofy sidekicks mm -hmm. in a lot of comics. Uh, almost every major superhero has had at some point the semi-ridiculous like pet with them, like... Uh, Crypto. Was that his name? Crypto? crypto Superman's yes, dog, Superman dog. And yeah. Batman had a bat dog, and yeah, everybody else had a whatever kind of dog they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, although Harley Quinn's hyenas. There you go. Right. Bud and Lou. Yeah. That's, that's quite a pair. <laughs> but I think having primarily animals was avoided because 
it wasn't a tried and true seller. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, a lot of what DC and Marvel was doing was selling. There, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff they've put out that was put out because they knew it would be popular. Yeah. So it's starting to slowly change, and you're starting to see more uh, reoccurring animal characters as well in the stories. But sometimes it just takes a couple good ones to show the big guys that people are paying attention to different media and different types of character and different genre. Mm-hmm. It's it could be considered a genre at a certain point. At least I believe it does. Anthropomorphic characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just takes a little bit of time, and once they find some good stuff, and once they put out a story or two, and it really starts to sell, then maybe they'll take some risks with some smaller. But it's also because a lot of people can publish on their own nowadays. I mean, look at Kickstarter. How many comics have come out through Kickstarter mm-hmm. that have taken off, like Rocket Girl, or uh, leaving metal- Megalopolis, like it's just, it's easier for people with these ideas to go out and do it themselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think it's also worth mentioning that um, animal comics and animal cartoons and things like that, Disney had the market cornered originally. And, they did, yes. And, you know, the idea is that Disney goes hand in hand with children, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so there's the idea that, you know, comics based around animals originally was kid stuff. And maybe they did. They that wasn't the exact audience. Maybe not an audience that skews that young was what they were after. You know what I mean? They were more after kids who wanted to read Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and Batman and stuff like that. That's true. Um, so I feel that like, like I mean, I I couldn't do a podcast about Black Sad without mentioning early uh, Disney comics because it absolutely reminded me of you know Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, Which I believe I told you earlier today too. Uh, <laughs> The artist for Black Sad actually worked for Disney for a while, so you were you were correct yeah, in your not far off, yeah. But I, I feel like there's that stigma attached to it. You know what I mean? Yes. This is this is kid stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the Marvel comics that come to mind that uh, featured animals, you have like it was it was Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers. You know what I mean? You had you had Lockjaw and you had the I forget his name. He was the frog that was also Thor. And look at the art that was was used for those. Look at the art mm-hmm. the the, the people put into those books it it was cartoon yeah it was much much cartoonier than it was graphic novelly mm-hmm. even now if the, that makes any sense it does it does <laughs> even now the rocket raccoon ongoing series that's going on it's it's the the artist is Scotty Young who I I love his com his artwork but it's very cartoony and very stylized and not you know not it's not the super ris- realistic drawings that you're gonna get on like the current Avenger series or, or something like that you know. Yes, I I think you may have hit the nail on the head that animal comics are generally viewed as more kid related, mm-hmm. or at least historically have been. Yeah, and I'm very happy that that's changing. Right. Yeah. But like I said uh, in the in the last episode, you know, we loved this stuff as a kid, so it only makes sense that we would still love it as adults. Yeah. But it also makes sense that the material would mature. Alongside yeah. as as we did as we got older, so and it's good to see the, the flexibility too mm-hmm. in animal comics today, to see them touching more emotional or more hard hitting or more mature themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who is it? It's Dark Horse that publishes Black Sad, so I mean, you know, some of these excellent comics are I mean they're bigger publishers, you know what I mean? 
they're just not necessarily Marvel or DC. Yeah. That's putting them out. Mm -hmm. So they'll, they'll catch on eventually. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get, they'll get the hint. <laughs> they will. Um, and I think it's great. I've I've had a blast uh, reading the comics that you've been giving me these animal comics, and then obviously enjoying them enough to bring them up on the podcast and devote entire episodes to them. Definitely. I'm happy to share them. And if we had had another hour or two or three, I could have probably blathered on about many more. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think you will have that time eventually because we absolutely would love to have you back on the podcast. That would be fantastic. Great. Um, so uh, that's it. Uh, what would you like to plug? Give us some plugs. Where can people find your stuff? Where can people find stuff that you're interested in? Give out some some web addresses here. Well, like I said, uh, find me on Twitter at Coyote Claw, K-Y-O-T-E-K-L-A-W. And um, actually under that same name, if you're looking for my Tumblr, I'll try to start putting more art up there. <laughs> <laughs> but Google that and you'll find me. You really will. So. And we'll, uh, if you go to panelriot.com, we will also have links to, uh, to this stuff up there. And I also want to mention uh, the sketch bet that you had brought up earlier. Yes. Uh, if you want to see some fantastic artwork from some good friends of mine, uh, follow them at tesketchbet, T-E-H, sketchbet on Twitter. Um, and that's, uh, that's always a blast. So, and, uh, and as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at DJ Lunchbox. You can also find more Panel Riot. Get your daily dose at panelriot.com. Follow us on Twitter at panelriot. And you can also get intern Stan uh, for as often as he tweets with his terrible, broken, filthy young person English. Oh, can you? Uh, what's that? Nothing. <laughs> uh, and uh, as you probably already know, but you can hear uh, Panel Riot all over the internet. You can hear us on Stitcher, Smart Radio, Spreaker, iHeart Radio, and of course iTunes and uh, all the places that iTunes, you know, goes out to. Uh, but I desperately want to know what you think of the show. What animal comics are you reading now? Which ones are you going to read in the future now that you've heard this excellent podcast? Email us, panelriot at gmail.com, and tell us what you like. We'll read it on the show, and uh, you can feel like you're a little part of the show. And you also have my undying gratitude. So, thanks for listening, True Believers. Until next week, when hopefully I will have a lot of a catch for Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.